Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke about the coronavirus, but I stopped myself. I was gonna say we're infected. We're <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> it's not funny. It's kind of terrifying, actually. I hope you all are staying inside and away from people. Yeah, or just away from people. Yeah, I I remember today that you can go outside. Just don't touch people. <laughs> yeah, you can go on a hike. You can go on a walk. You could. Yeah, just if you see anybody run (laughs) don't go (laughs) anywhere near anybody i don't know it's terrifying i shared the picture with tierney earlier but my brother sent us a picture of a completely empty really nice subway car in new york city it's insane crazy it's so crazy because i've literally never seen that in my whole life right my brother normally rides the his bike but people aren't taking the subway so he was like oh okay (laughs) yeah i might as well check out the subway it's crazy. Everything's closed. People are saying that they think that my school will be closed for the rest of the year, which is insane. That's crazy. And I, I can't even imagine. I know my office is just trying to fast track the seniors to graduation because well, I nice don't know how they're going to make it. <laughs> well, I hope you all are healthy. I hope you're listening to this by yourself. <laughs> or with people that aren't infected that you live with. Yeah. That are all home. Or staying home. Hi, everyone. Hi. (laughs) Shelby, do you want to tell us about what we're drinking today for this wonderful St. Patrick's Day? Sure. What we're drinking is called an Irish car bomb, but you don't want to order it that way. Last St. Patrick's Day, I just ordered it asking for the specific ingredients, which is half a shot of Bailey's and half a shot of Jameson dropped into however much Guinness you want and then you drink that whole thing in in just one sitting delicious I really enjoy it too I don't I don't do shots but I'll do I'll do that but what I'm gonna get into today is why you don't ever go out and order an Irish car bomb yeah when I learned this I I don't know if I had ordered it or somebody else had but somebody said, no, 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 you don't want to order that because it's like if you went to America and ordered something called a 9-11. I don't know what to call it. I thought maybe a Bailey's bomb. I think that's a cute idea. Because I, I like alliteration, so a Bailey's bomb. A, or a BJ bomb. Bailey's oh, a BJ bomb. Oh, <laughs> Beetlejuice. <laughs> that, that was where my mind went. I was like, what does Beetlejuice have to do with Bailey's or Jameson? But I got it. I got where you're going. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all night. (laughs) So anyway, as we go through this, I will probably have bits where I sound congested. I am. Uh, I will probably be asking Tierney to speak at some points because she does this really great Irish accent, (laughs) which I'll probably need. (laughs) It usually comes out when I'm drunk. There are some quotes in here that I was going to have you read. I I usually when I'm when I'm drunk to a certain point. And I'm with my Irish friends. I'll just talk to strangers and be like, I'm from Dublin. Can't you hear my accent? And they're like, oh, shit. That's and all, all I my thought Irish of. friends are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but to all the Americans, it sounds great. They don't think it's believable? Uh, I don't know. I've gotten an, oh, that one was okay. 
<laughs> so are you ready? I think so. Okay, good. So drop your Baileys and your Jameson into your Guinness. Drink that whole thing. Drink up, dead drunkies. All right, you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. On Friday, May 17th, 1974, at around 5.30 or rush hour, three car bombs suddenly exploded in Dublin city center at Parnell Street, Talbot Street, and South Leinster Street. Again, I'm not Irish, so I apologize. I'm just going to butcher these things. It's fine. Each of these streets ran east-west from busy thoroughfares to railway stations, and due to the bus strike in Dublin at the time, there were more people on the streets than usual. So it was basically a perfect storm. The first of the three car bombs detonated at around 528 on Parnell Street, near the intersection with Marlborough. Marl... Say that one. <laughs> Marlborough Street. Yeah, it was real easy. I just can't <laughs> say that word. The car, which had been hijacked in Belfast that morning, was a green 1970 model Hillman Avenger with the registration number DIA4063. The car was left in a lot just outside of the Welcome Inn pub and Barry's supermarket and specifically parked to face O'Connell Street, Dublin's main thoroughfare. The explosion was massive. Local shops and cars were destroyed and people were thrown in every direction. To give you a better idea of the size of the blast, a brown Mini had been parked just behind the bomb, and the explosion hurled the vehicle onto the pavement at a right angle. Holy moly macaroni. Yeah, so it was pretty big. One survivor described, quote, Tierney, you want to go ahead? (laughs) I'm nervous now. A big ball of flame coming straight toward us, like a great nuclear mushroom cloud whooshing up everything in its path. You went to make it like a song. (laughs) I love this. This is going to be a great episode. (laughs) Ten people were killed in this explosion. I just said this is going to be a great episode. (laughs) I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, my God. This is going to be an okay episode. Yep. Ten people were killed in this explosion, including two infant girls, their parents, and a World War I veteran. Many others, including a young gas pump attendant, were severely injured. So an entire family was taken out by this. Yeah. The second of the car bombs went off at around 5.30 on Talbot Street, near the intersection with Lower Gardner Street. This street was the main route from the city center to one of Dublin's primary railway stations, Connolly Station. The metallic blue Mink Ford Escort with the registration number 1385WZ had also been stolen that morning in the docks area of Belfast. The car was parked at 18 Talbot Street opposite a Guinea's department store, which is apparently a chain over there. The explosion damaged buildings and vehicles on both sides of the street while people suffered from severe burns, were struck by shrapnel or flying debris, and some were even hurled through shop windows. Twelve people were killed instantly by the blast, and another two died over the next few days and weeks. 13 of the total 14 victims were women, including one woman, Colette Doherty, who was nine months pregnant. No! One young woman who had been right next to the bomb car was decapitated. Several others lost their limbs, and one man was impaled by an iron bar. Holy shit. Yeah, these were big, big explosions. At least four bodies were laying in the street outside of Guinea's. They lay there for half an hour as the ambulances struggled to get through the rush hour traffic. Survivors covered them with newspaper until the ambulances were able to remove them from the scene. The third bomb in Dublin went off just about two minutes later on South Leinster Street. 
Leinster Street. Leinster Street? Any variation of those. That street. <laughs> no idea. The car, a blue Austin 1800 with the registration number HOI 2487, was parked near the railings of Trinity College, not far from Leinster House. Oh, I, I've been there. So how's it pronounced? Don't know, but I've been to Trinity College before. <laughs> okay. So it was by Trinity College. That's okay. all we know. <laughs> this car, much like the other two, was also hijacked in Belfast that morning from a taxi company. Two women that had been very close to the blast died outright. Dental students from Trinity College rushed outside to give first aid to the injured. This is one of the good things that I noticed when I was looking into the story is mm-hmm. there was no shortage of people on hand to help. Oh, that's so nice. Bystanders rushed to help the wounded, not just the dental students. Rescuers who felt that the emergency response teams were not getting there fast enough started lifting the dead and wounded, wrapped them in blankets and bundled them into cars to get to the nearest hospital. Garda, which is their police, I don't really know the full name of it. I apologize. Garda squad cars escorted surgeons through the crowded streets and traffic jams to attend to the wounded. So many more people, upon hearing the news, rushed to the nearest hospital to donate blood. So Irish people heard the bombings went off and went, I'm going to go give some blood. That's great. We love the Irish. It's amazing. (laughs) I don't know that many Americans would do that. Patty Doyle of Finglas, who lost his daughter, son-in-law, and two infant granddaughters in the Parnell Street explosion, that family that I mentioned, described the scene inside Dublin City Morgue as having been like a, quote, slaughterhouse with workers, quote, putting arms and legs together to make up a body, end quote. So it was pretty bad. At six o'clock, once all of the dead and injured had been removed from the scene, Garda officers closed off the three bomb sites in Dublin. Just 15 minutes earlier, at 545, the order had been given to call out national cardons, meaning that the new task at hand for the Garda was to stop the bombers from leaving the state. Garda officers were sent to Connolly Station, Busaras, Dublin Airport, the B&I Car Ferry Port, and the mail boat at... Nope, that's not going to... Tierney? Oh, God. Yeah. Dunlahair. Yeah. Sure. At <laughs> 6.28, the Dublin-Belfast train was stopped at Dundalk and searched by a team of 18 Garde, led by an inspector. We love Celtic. I do, really, but I cannot pronounce it to I save know, my life. It's very hard. Just 30 minutes later, at around 6.58, a fourth bomb went off in the center of Monaghan Town, just south of the border with Northern Ireland. This bomb, which weighed 150 pounds, was housed in a green 1966 Hillman Minx, registration 65830Z, had also been stolen just hours before the blast from a parking lot in Portatown, a town just southwest of Belfast. It has been suggested that this attack, since it was located farther north than the other bombings, was a, quote, support attack, meaning that the Monaghan bombing was just a diversion to draw security away from the border and help the Dublin bombers escape back to Northern Ireland. Just like the other three, no warning had been issued. The bomb killed five people instantly and another two in the following weeks from their severe injuries. Also, like the other two scenes, the Garda closed off the scene and began to examine the evidence. This car had been parked right outside Protestant-owned Grecian's Pub on North Road, and after an examination of the scene, officers discovered evidence that this car had been parked for just five minutes before the bomb detonated. The bomb site, which was about 300 to 400 yards, 
was preserved by eight Gardai from 7 o'clock that evening to 2.30 on May 19th, two days later, when the technical examination of the crime scene had come to a conclusion. Forensic analysis of metal fragments from the site suggested that the bomb had been in a beer barrel or something similar. According to one of the Irish Army's top bomb disposal officers, Commandant Patrick Triers, the bombs were constructed so well that 100% of each bomb exploded upon their detonation. Holy moly. <laughs> I said detonation really weird. Detonation. Detonation. But yeah, they were really good bombs. Which is crazy. I don't know how you would even tell that they were in a beer barrel of some type, but... Yeah, I don't know a lot about bombs, I guess. Except for the kind that you drink. <laughs> we know all about those. Hockey bombs. <laughs> so in just a matter of hours, 23 people died in these explosions. Three others died over the following days and weeks from the injuries they sustained in the blasts, and 300 or so people were injured. Many of the dead were young women, originally from rural towns, who moved to Dublin to work in the civil service. As I mentioned earlier, an entire family from central Dublin was killed. Two of the victims were foreigners. One was an Italian man, and the other was a French-Jewish woman whose family had survived the Holocaust. She must have, like, got up to heaven and been like, well, are you serious? I survived the Holocaust, <laughs> and then I got killed during this. Yeah, that's like Derek on uh, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yep. Which I'm not going to go into, because I survived I've already ruined crash. it for someone. And a, shoot- and a shooting, right? He was shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then you got hit by a car. Idiots. Stupid. There are some other accounts that give a total of 34 or 35 dead. 34 if you include the unborn child of Colette Doherty, who did die. Doherty's other child, a 22-month-old daughter, had survived the Talbot Street explosion. She was found wandering near the bomb site, relatively unharmed. So she lived. Well, that's good. 35, including the later stillborn child of Edward and Martha O'Neill. Edward was killed outright in the Parnell Street bombing while taking his two young sons to get a haircut. Oh, my God. Martha had not been caught in the attack, but the young boys suffered serious injuries from the blast. Denise O'Neill had been just eight years old when her father, Edward, was killed in the bombings. Denise had always, quote, assumed right up to 1988 or 89 that whoever did it was in prison. That is, until she read something that prompted her to call the Garda press office. Denise said, do you want to read this one? Uh, they told me the files were still open and there hadn't been a prosecution. I was, God, I was horrified. That was pretty good. The end was pretty good. It wasn't my best. The end was pretty good. I really got it in the end. <laughs> this May will bring the 46th anniversary of the tragic bombings and still no one has ever been charged with the attacks. In 1993, a loyalist paramilitary group from Northern Ireland called the Ulster Volunteer Force claimed responsibility for the bombings. The UVF's declared goals were to combat Irish republicanism, mainly the Irish Republican Army, and maintain Northern Ireland's status as part of the United Kingdom. After its emergence in 1966, under their first leader, Gusty Spence, a former British soldier, the UVF launched an armed campaign that lasted almost 30 years during the time period known as the Troubles, which were the late 60s through 1998. In 1971, the terrorist organization pulled off its deadliest attack in Northern Ireland when they detonated a bomb in McGurk's bar, killing 15 civilians. Jesus. Yeah, why would you blow up a bar? I have no idea. (laughs) Of all places. Then just three years later, the biggest attack took place when four car bombs detonated in Dublin and Monaghan, which I just told you about. 
Just a month before those bombings, the British government lifted the UVF status as a terrorist organization, which is one of the reasons that many people believe British state forces assisted in the attack. A campaign by the victims' families eventually led to an Irish government inquiry in 2003. Justice Henry Barron looked further into the evidence and investigations from the 1974 car bombings and found a number of issues in the original handling of the case. First, his report criticized the Garda's investigation, stating that the investigators stopped their work prematurely. Justice Barron also criticized the Fine Gael Labour Party, which is currently the third largest political party in Ireland, but held power at the time of the bombings. The justices' criticism focused on the Fine Gael Labour Party's inaction and lack of interest in the bombings, which caused the horrific act of terrorism to quickly disappear from the public's memories. Bernie McNally, who was 16 at the time, remembers this all too well. McNally was blinded in one eye and left disfigured from the bombings. No. She re- yeah. She remembers leaving the hospital six weeks after the attack and, quote, go ahead. <laughs> Feeling suddenly scared of going out, I said to my father, people will be talking, and he said, Bernie, it'll be history by Christmas. It was history in six weeks. Yep. That was a little better. <laughs> that was. I liked that one a lot. <laughs> the pause. It was history in six weeks. That's exactly how I read it in the article. <laughs> It's not funny. It's it's not funny. I'm trying to bring some after six weeks. Everybody kind of forgot about the bombings, except for the victims. Yeah. Justice Barron's inquiry continued to claim that it was likely that the bombers had assistance from British security force personnel or MI5 intelligence. Unfortunately, he was unable to provide sufficient evidence of any higher involvement because the British government refused to release key documents to Barron for his investigation. Almost 46 years later, the victims' families are continuing to campaign for the British government to release those documents. Until then, we still have no idea who is really behind the 1974 car bombings of Dublin and Monaghan. That time I said it with a little Irish flair. You did, a Monaghan. Monaghan. <laughs> wow. Maybe so I'll be able to say Marlborough. Marlborough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just sounds even more garbled in my mouth. <laughs> and that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you should not order an Irish car bomb, even though they're delicious. Just, yes. Just order them as something else. Order a Bailey's bomb. Especially or a BJ if bomb. if you're in Ireland and you're an American tourist, because they're just going to look at you and be like, God damn it. Oh, don't order it in Ireland. Yeah. I- I couldn't blame them if they just punched you right out in the <laughs> face. I just, I mean, yeah, it really is like coming here and being like, hey, can you give me the, um, the Sandy Hook? Yeah. Oh my God. Can you give me a Sandy Hook? And they just cook yeah. you right in the face. Just yeah. like <laughs> crazy. All right. So after that, um, really devastating crime, I have another little Irish crime for you guys. Sticking with our theme. Yeah. This also happened in Dublin, Ireland. Actually, it was in Malahide, which is like a part of Dublin, I believe. And it happened on March 30th of 1926. Right. So get another shot ready. Yeah. Pour some more babies and Jason (laughs) in your shot. (laughs) Chop it into a Guinness. Drink that whole thing. And here we go. Yeah. So La Mancha was a beautiful estate in Dublin, Ireland. Four siblings all lived there together. Their names were Peter, Joseph, Annie, and Alice McDonald. They had run a successful business together, and because they were all unmarried, they all retired there together in 1918. Aww. So, like, they all went out and had their lives, and then they retired, and they were like, well, none of us got married. Let's just all move in together and, like, live in this beautiful house. That sounds really cool yeah. if you're, like, friends with your siblings and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
On March 30th of 1926, their gardener, Henry McCabe, arrived for his shift around 8 a.m. to find smoke billowing out of the windows of their estate. Oh, my God. As he got even closer, he noticed flames, and so he turned and ran to alert firefighters as well as anyone that he passed on his way. While waiting for help, a neighbor was able to break a bottom window and pull out the body of James Clark, the family's yard man. Now, I had to Google what a yard man was because nobody I know has a yard man. And it's really just what it sounds like. It's someone who tends to the yard of a home. So he oh. would have been in charge of things like cutting the grass, chopping lumber and that kind of stuff. But Isn't that, then what's the gardener for? For the plants, for like the, the flowers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But unfortunately, James Clark would no longer be doing any of that now because <laughs> he was dead. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, this isn't funny. We're not laughing at his death. That was just like a. That was a funny way to put in. Who's coming into the yard now? What was interesting about his body, though, is that it seemed as if the fire had not been what killed him. Clark had defensive wounds on his forearms, and he had a sizable laceration across his head. The bodies of Joseph, Peter, Annie, and Alice were all recovered from the house, along with the body of their servant, Mary McGowan. According to the Irish Times, the bodies of the two sisters were found together in their room, while the others were found at different places around the house. Peter's body was most interesting because he had been stripped. His clothes, however, were draped over him as if somebody had placed them on top of him. That's really creepy. After he died. He also seemed to be the last to die, according to police. I'm not really sure how they figured that out, but... I'm yeah, how sure. would they... Did the fire not reach any of the bodies? The bodies were fine from the fire? No, a lot of the bodies, like the bodies of the sisters were pretty much like... Almost... What's the word I'm looking for? Like charred? Yeah, like unrecognizable oh almost. okay almost and then unrecognizable others some of the other bodies were not i don't know bad. why i went for charred like immediately like a yeah i mean but yeah unrecognizable yeah. but yeah so i don't know how they would tell that yeah but okay I don't know. police also discovered a fire poker close to peter's body and it was discovered to have brain matter on it great murder weapon mm-hmm The fire marshals were able to determine that there had been many fires started throughout the house, not just one big fire, and they had been apparently spread by an inflammable spirit. Okay. Autopsies later determined that there were traces of arsenic in some of the bodies. Not a lethal dose, but according to the Irish Times, it was enough to make them weak. So it became very clear that this fire was not an accident. We were dealing with a homicide. Dun, dun, dun. Many people were confused by this crime because, according to many, the family was too nice to have any real enemies. However, it was not long until suspicion turned to the man who found the fire in the first place, the gardener, Henry McCabe. When police had arrived on the scene originally, McCabe had been standing around waiting for them, smoking a cigarette. So this oddly calm demeanor was suspicious to the police, and they decided to detain him. They also discovered that morning that he was not wearing his own pants, but he was wearing the pants of Peter, one of the brothers. Isn't that the brother that was stripped? Yes. Well, that's highly suspicious. Mm -hmm. So McCabe lived with his wife and nine children in Malahide. Yeah. And he was taken into custody on April 2nd. When giving a statement, McCabe mentioned a safe that he had been ordered to bury at the estate years before when he was first hired. 
He details that three years after burying it, he was ordered to dig it up for them and place it at the family store. I guess they owned some kind of convenience store. Okay. Maybe they owned guineas. Maybe. (laughs) It was found that McCabe also had the key to the safe on him during the time of the questioning. McCabe claimed that he saw a back door had been broken in the house, suggesting that somebody had broken in to commit the murders. But when this was further investigated, police did find a broken door. However, it seemed as if it had been broken by someone from the inside, not somebody trying to get in. Oh. Which would... Trying to cover it up. think that it was staged, Mm -hmm. yes. McCabe was charged on April 12th with the six murders, which he completely denied. He was angry that, according to him, he was being taken in just because of the pants he was wearing. He tried to explain that he had received the pants as a gift months before, but nobody believed him. More than 60 witnesses then came forward, saying that they had tried to visit the estate in the days before the fire, but had been turned away by McCabe himself, saying that the McDonald family was not feeling well. At his trial, evidence against McCabe included that there were bloodstains found on his shirt, and it was implied that he at one time had blood all over his pants, which is why he changed into the pair of Peter McDowell's. They also argued that as a gardener, McCabe had access to a weed killer, which did have some arsenic in it, which would make sense if he had used it to. Yeah, all of this is kind of coming together. Very much against him. Yes. So most of the prosecution's case was circumstantial. However, despite this, McCabe was found guilty of the six murders. There's some pretty strong circumstances there. Yeah. The prosecutor stated that he, quote, could not make bricks without clay. And out of the rotten rubbish and half-baked clay, he was not able to build the house of the prosecution. What? I don't know. That's... (laughs) Maybe if I said it in an Irish accent, it would make more, more sense. He could not make bricks without clay. <laughs> Out of the rotten rubbish. <laughs> Half-baked clay. He was not able to build the house of prosecution. That was bad. I still don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No idea. When asked why he should be spared the death sentence, McCabe said, All I have to say is God forgive them. I am the victim of bribery and perjury. So he was sentenced to death by way of hanging on December 9th of 1926. Oh, he's now dead. So what do you think? Did he do it? I don't know. It seems pretty intense. Yeah, I feel like they were really, really quick to take him in and be like, yep, he did it. Yeah, this seems like it was really intricate. And like you could you probably could have spent days investigating this case. And they were like, well, this guy was here. I think that he was taken in about three days after the fire had started. So they did spend a couple of days, but still it was like... Still, there's so much stuff. He was... The the murders happened on March 30th, and by April 12th, he was charged. Yet that's so quick. Yeah. So... I don't think... Have we covered a case like that's moved that quickly before? I don't, I don't know. Um, so, which is why I added a question at the bottom here. Do you think that if this case were to happen in America, like today, that he would have been prosecuted? I don't think they would have prosecuted. They probably would have tried for a plea deal because there's no real evidence. They would have tried to convince him to do a plea deal, in which case he probably would have done that really annoying Albert plea where you can plead and concede that you a jury would find you guilty, but you don't have to actually com- admit that you did anything. Yeah. Which is super I, annoying. I hate that. But... Yeah. I just feel like 
he definitely wouldn't be sentenced to death for circumstantial evidence. No, that's so extreme. Yeah, like there's really, but it it also. What really ticks me off is that we don't have an answer. Like this is, like I think he probably did it, but but why? I think that there was, there had to be something in the safe. That's why he had the, the key in his pocket. I'm sure that it had to do with that. Yeah, but if you knew where the safe was and you could get the key, couldn't you do that without murdering anybody? I don't or six know. people? This happened in 1926, right? Mm-hmm. And he was, he was charged and sentenced in April, and by December he was killed. Yeah, that's so quick. That's crazy quick. Yeah. No, I don't think that would happen today. But back then, yeah, I mean, Hopman. Hopman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's. Yeah, that's super crazy, though. Yeah. So that's our, our second little case. Oh, my God. Wait, I just read something. McCabe, after he was hanged, his body was buried in an unmarked grave within the walls of the jail. Wait, so like if his zombie comes back, he's still in there or he's like buried inside the walls of the jail that he was at. That's sad. That's crazy. That's why would you do that? That's like an added. That's like, I don't know. It's an added fuck you in there. Like, it's <laughs> insane. Yeah. So there were a lot of crazy stuff that happened in Ireland, but these are just a few. Um, One, an educational tale of why you shouldn't order Irish car bombs, but you can make them yourself and you can order them in any other way. And another story about a bunch of murders that we're not sure if Henry McCabe did, but he died for him. Yeah, so, so there we go. So he might have. He probably but did. that's our Irish stories. So how do you feel about your St. Patrick's Day week? Did it just get better? Do you feel better about <laughs> it? Even though you couldn't go out? <laughs> I do. Uh, I feel a little better. <laughs> I feel a little more productive. If you want to send us some more Irish stories or just in general criminal stories that we should cover because we have a pretty long list, but we can't seem to really decide on what we want to do. <laughs> so you can send it to our email at deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. You can share pictures of your Irish car bombs or your Bailey's. Don't. Your sorry. BJ bombs. Your BJ bombs or your Bailey's bombs or whatever bomb you wanted to drink this week it could be any of them jaeger sake another one that i can't think of but you could send that to us on instagram at dead drunk crime you can tweet us at dead drunk crime you could tweet us on the facebook too dead drunk crime <laughs> uh, i'm sorry dead drunk podcast what dead drunk a true crime podcast i don't know <laughs> what it's called <laughs> type in all the words that's our facebook page yeah <laughs> Um, tweet us on the Facebook is like a reference to Shit's Creek. So oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. <laughs> Find us on the tweeters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our website. And our website, deaddrunkpodcast.com, where you can read the full cases. This one will be a double in one. Heck yeah! I'll probably title them, and you can read through all about the Malahide murders and the Dublin and Monaghan bombings. Whoa! I really wanted to go Irish with Monaghan there. <laughs> And we have merch in our show notes. Yeah, yep, we have merch. It's also at the end of every blog post Sweet. where you can find the link to Spreadshirt, our Spreadshirt shop, and get some really comfy stuff. There's a really, really soft, warm pullover sweatshirt 
that I highly, highly recommend. Oh, yeah. All right. So do you want to tell them about our caboose tonight? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> today, um, I informed Tierney that we have a spam folder, <laughs> which she wasn't aware of. And I we just, have quite a look. few messages in our spam folder. Uh, but the best one is called Very Urgent, comma. <laughs> from somebody Come. named Sophia Lucas. And it's it's a great email. Do you want to do this paragraph by paragraph like we were yes. in school? Okay. Yes, we're, we'll round robin read it. Okay, ready? <clears throat> May the peace of God be with you. <laughs> my dear, I am writing this mail to you with heavy sorrow in my heart. This massage mighty comes to you as a surprise, but I choose to reach you through this email because it still remains the fastest medium of communicating with you. That was all one sentence. <laughs> Please give me this little chance to explain myself to you. I would like to, I would have liked to meet you in person before departing from this mother earth, but due to the illness continue to deprive me the chance. But even if I die on the process of this illness, I will still praise almighty God. <laughs> almighty was caps. <laughs> I could take a breath. First, let me kindly introduce myself to you. My names are Mrs. Sophia Lucas. I am a dying woman diagnosed of cancer for about one year ago. Immediately after the death of my beloved husband, who has left me everything he worked with and and bank deposit of the sum of parentheses eleven million dollars and parentheses with my name as the legal rightful appointed beneficiary to the fund. But slash next of kins, according to my doctor, he told me that I would not last for a long period of time because this illness has gotten to a very bad stage. I missed the slash. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> that is the reason why I decided to entrust my inheritance money to you. I hoped that you would not expose or betray this trust and confident that I am about to repose. Sorry, that I am about to repose on you for the mutual benefit of the orphans and the less privileges ones, believing that you will utilize the money the way I am going to instruct herein as I mentioned above. I need you to assist me to reclaim this money from the bank where it's been deposited by my late husband and use the fund for charity works in your position before I die, such as orphanages and gives justice and help to the poor, needy, elderly ones. And the widow says the Lord, Jeremiah twenty two fifteen sixteen, to promote the word of God and the effort that the house of God is maintained. There's only quotes around Jeremiah twenty two fifteen sixteen. Yep. Like there's. <laughs> I do not want a situation where this money will be used in an ungodly manner. That's why I'm taking this decision. I'm not afraid of death, so I know where I'm going. I accept this decision because I do not have any child who will inherit this money after I die. To be very honest with you, this money I have opened up to you is totally genuine, no complications, and is 100% risk-free. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you sound like you're trying to sell me something. <laughs> Sounds legit. I am absolutely assuring you that no problem involved in this fund, either in the short run or in the long run, because I am the legal rightful appointed next of kins to the fund, everything is legitimate. I feel like if you have to say everything is legit, 
like that many times it's definitely not she said it like three times in that sentence alone (laughs) and it will be my great pleasure to compensate you with 35 percent percent of the total money for your personal use five percent percent for any expenses that may occur during the transaction and while 60 percent of the money will go to the charity project or better still you can invest the total fund into your personal business ventures and make sure you assist the orphanages and the less privileged and do other charitable works with the profit you will make from the business just for the listeners at home that was one sentence but also (laughs) she like included the percent symbol and then wrote percent (laughs) I will appreciate your utmost confidentiality oops, and trust in this matter to accomplish my heart desire as I don't want anything that will jeopardize the fund my late husband has worked for and my last wish. Upon your reply, I will give you more details of the bank contact information, including my late husband account details, also a letter of authorization, which will enable you to proceed communication with the bank for the claim of the fund as the rightful legal present beneficiary of the fund. All I need from you is sincerity and ability to complete God's task without any failure. It will be my pleasure to see that the bank has released and transferred the fund into your bank account therein country even before I die here in the hospital. Because of my present health status, everything needs to be processed rapidly as soon as possible. Please kindly respond quickly. Thanks and God bless. May God bless you for your kind help. Yours sincerely, sister, Mrs. Sophia Lucas. As I'm read, I was reading one of those last sentences. I was like, it kind of feels like I'm just spitting out words. <laughs> I mean, transfer the fund into your bank account there in country, but even before <laughs> I die here, what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure that Google did the right thing in marking this spam. Should I press the look safe button and reply? L- look safe? No. <laughs> I wonder what her plan is, like to get us to give our bank info to her. Yeah, probably. But what's odd is that most of our spam is that. It's <laughs> people saying, like, I am related to and I need... What is this And one? I need your money. I am the daughter of former president of Libya, Colonel Muammar al-Gaddafi. Okay. Yeah. Great. Good for you, dude. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> but maybe don't. This one is really strange because she's like, I am willing to negotiate investment business profit sharing ratio with you based on the future investment earning profits. If you are willing to handle this project on my behalf, there's no project. Like, I don't understand. Was the project giving you like my identity or something? Yes. The project is (laughs) getting scammed. Yeah. This Nigerian prince wrote me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's what's what next week I came to you and I was like, I have a new boyfriend. He's a Nigerian prince. I (laughs) sent him five thousand dollars, but we're in love. (laughs) I sent him five thousand dollars. We're definitely in love. He's coming to America. (laughs) I would call Adam (laughs) and have him (laughs) rein you in. (laughs) Oh, five thousand dollars to a fake Nigerian prince. That would be good. All right, well, so that was our Irish episode. Yeah. Let us know what you thought. Stay safe. Stay inside. Hashtag flatten the curve. Wash your hands. Which you should be doing anyway. Yeah, you should have been doing anyway. nasty people. All right. So, yeah. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. Wash your hands.
The first of the three car bombs detonated at around five twenty eight. Yeah. I'm sorry, I looked at it. <laughs> I looked at it and it's <laughs> It's military time. <laughs> It's 1728. But 1728. <laughs> yeah, baby. That's from Fetty Wap for all of our older listeners. <laughs> what happened to Fetty? I don't know. I think he went to jail and then fell off the face of the... He didn't go to jail. I have no idea. I'm just sad if he did. Okay, hold on. Where... Where is Fetty Wap? Is Fetty Wap now? <laughs> that was one of the Google searches. Oh, my God. There's a YouTube video called Let's Find Fetty. I think he lives in New Jersey. His name is Willie Jr. Maxwell II. I can understand why he goes by Fetty. I don't know. Well, Fetty, if you're listening, please give us a tweet or a a DM or something. Yeah, let us know what you're up to. You could email us at (laughs) (laughs) deadjerkpod. Yeah, make sure you email us. Tell us what you're up to. (laughs) We'll cover it. We just plug our socials now (laughs) in the middle of this story. (laughs) Okay. We we barely started. You're right, you're right. <laughs> we could plug our socials just for Fetty Wap. <laughs> Fetty Wap at Dead Drunk Crime on Twitter and Instagram. Deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. You can go to our website, deaddrunkpodcast.com. Let us know. Yeah. Let us know what you're up to, when the next album's gonna drop, how many Remy boys there still are after the coronavirus. <laughs> Sorry. Remy. <laughs> All right. The one, Ooh. the question that comes up right after where is Fetty Wap now is what is 1738? <laughs> we looked that we, up, didn't we? We should it's do the- a Fetty Wap case with 1738 as the drink. Is there Ooh. a case about Fetty? Yeah, but are you going to buy that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's not that expensive. Remy Martin, isn't it one of the more expensive? I was going <laughs> to. I don't I wanted to say that. That's I not a word. I don't think so. 60, no, 35, 35.99. Oh. Okay. I thought it was more On expensive. Bull Bar Liquor 2. Oh, it was definitely expensive when we were in college. <laughs> like to me, that was expensive <laughs> liquor. <laughs> but no, yeah, that's a regular good price for, maybe it's good. What is it? It's cognac. Oh, I'm not going to like it. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had cognac, to be honest. They told me. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm nervous. Wait, start by saying, I'm from Dublin, can't you hear my I'm accent? I'm from Dublin, can't you hear my accent? They told me the files were still open and there hadn't been a prosecution. <laughs> they, t- <laughs> they told me... <laughs> they told me... <laughs> they told me the files were still open and there hadn't been a prosecution. <laughs> I was, God, I was horrified. <laughs> The first beginning sounded like they told me the files were still they open. They told me the files were still open. There hadn't been a prosecution, don't you know? <laughs> they told me the files were still open and there hadn't been a prosecution. I was God, I was horrified. <laughs> you just speed it up. <laughs> <laughs> the faster you say it, the better it sounds. <laughs> <laughs>